This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, we are welcoming Kate Borisato to the show. Kate is also a maternal mental health therapist. She's located in BC on the opposite coast of me in Canada, and I brought her on the podcast today to discuss a very important topic, a much requested and kind of confusing, hard to navigate topic, actually. And that is the difference between mom worry and anxiety. In this episode, we discuss what is normal amounts of mom worry and when does that start to teeter into postpartum anxiety or anxiety that we should be more concerned about. We talk about some of the key distinguishing features and things to look out for. And also, if you feel that you fall more into that anxiety category, what to do with that and how to seek help. This is a very practical and tangible conversation with Kate today. Before jumping in, I just want to let you know that the verdict is in on our last Mummy Rage workshop. Dr. Asherina Reem, Psyched Mummy, and I held a Mummy Rage workshop last week, and the response has been overwhelming. Here are just a couple of the comments made in the chat along the way. This has been so amazing, so appreciative of your time. This has been incredible, very comforting, learning some new skills that I can implement for any future outbursts. I'm glad to know I'm not the only one who experiences this. I didn't know there would be so much sharing today. It's so relieving not to feel alone or feel like a bad person. This has been cathartic in a way, literally in tears. Thank you for showing me and all of us that I'm not alone in this. It was a really powerful time with so many of us gathered to talk about our struggles in motherhood, our struggles in regulating ourselves in motherhood, and how we can learn new skills to try and improve while also practicing self-compassion and extending grace to ourselves. If you are interested in taking this Mummy Rage workshop in the future, head to happyasamother.co slash mummyrage to join the waitlist and be notified of when this event will be held again. All right, let's hear my conversation with Kate. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here today. You and I have been back and forth and getting to know each other. And I appreciate in the momming and private practice and busy, you know, mom and boss life that you're living right now that you took the time to be with us. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me. It's a total pleasure to be here and I'm looking forward to chatting. I'm really curious how you came to specialize in the field of maternal mental health, because I think that the story is kind of similar for all of us in that we start off as general practitioners of sorts, right? Mm -hmm. And there's lots of 
different niches and directions we can go with our therapy practice. So how did you come to specialize in niche down in working with moms? I love that question. Um, it's a perfect place to start here. And you're right. So I went through my my grad school. I always wanted to be a counselor. And to be honest, there was never any specific training in maternal mental health. So it wasn't on my radar. I don't know if that was the same for you when you went Not on my training. radar at all in my training. Yeah. No. So it wasn't on my radar. And of course, I, I hadn't become a mother yet. So I wasn't really sure which direction I was taking. And then just as I was finishing up my master's degree, I like set my heart on becoming a mom. And that's when I first really started to feel my own struggle, um, mm-hmm. mental health challenges, actually. So even before conceiving, I started to feel anxious. I knew I wanted something that wasn't happening. And I, I started to feel that sense of anxiety that we're going to be talking about today. And that really was a turning point for me in my career of like, what is going on? How come I didn't know more about this? And then of course, fast forward a few years, just going through the ups and downs of balancing it all, right? Trying to mm-hmm. trying to be a mom, trying to be a partner, trying to have a career, trying to be a friend and struggling. And just yeah. realizing the more I was open about that, the more I realized I am not the only one in this position. So yeah. And I've said it like, I don't know, a million times before that I didn't realize becoming a mom was going to be like 95% regulating myself and figuring out my own stuff, right? And as a mental health professional, kind of generalized, at the time I was working with children and families, a lot of sort of crisis work with teens and young adults and stuff, which I appreciate having that background and training in. But becoming a mom and realizing like, wait, you know, when you're already feeling like as an individual person, you're running at capacity and you're like working very hard to contain yourself day to day. And then you become responsible for little human beings. Your whole world kind of gets thrown for a loop. And there's so many pieces to this matrescence and this, you know, adjustment to motherhood. But especially for anyone who's been through any kind of trauma or adverse experiences in life or have gone under the radar in terms of being treated for anxiety or depression, motherhood has a way of really kind of shaking all of that up for us. Yes. I say that so often in my practice that a lot of the anxiety or the stress or the overwhelm that we feel, it might not be a new feeling, right? We might have felt that way before, but Mm -hmm. then becoming a mother is so stressful that of course, all of these old feelings and old maybe stressors or challenges or coping mechanisms might, you know, poke up again because we're Mm -hmm. in such a vulnerable state. So it's not necessarily, you know, new anxiety or new depression. It's just like, yeah, no wonder this is coming up now because this is so freaking hard, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a really good segue into our topic today. And this Mm -hmm. is one that I haven't addressed on the podcast before, but I think is such an important conversation. And that is distinguishing the difference between like, what is first time mom worry? Or like, what is typical mom worry? And what is more clinical anxiety or postpartum anxiety? Because I can tell you as somebody who speaks openly about having some postpartum anxiety and depression with my boys, my first time mom experience was a lot of postpartum anxiety that I I have identified in retrospect. I could not identify it in the moment. Yes, I relate to that so, so much, Erica. I'd love to dive more into that and and even like talk about what that, what in hindsight, what did that look like for us? Because I, I feel the same way, you know, looking back a few years ago, now it's clear to me, but at the time I just thought I was bad at it. I just thought I couldn't handle all of the demands. Mm-hmm. And so 
Yeah, I, I, I really love this topic. Okay, so you asked me about worry versus anxiety. The challenge is that it's all on the same spectrum, I think. Right. Right. And it's not like, it's not black and white. It's not like it's worry one day and then all of a sudden it's anxiety. I kind of think it flows from one into the other. And what we're really looking at is this feeling of, you know, uneasiness, being unsettled, maybe scared, fearful. And once that becomes incredibly disruptive or is causing problems in your life that are significant, Mm -hmm. right, then Mm -hmm. we need to start looking at, okay, what's happening here and how can we support, you know, ourselves or how can we reach out from support? So when I think about worry, I mean, I have never met a mom who doesn't worry. Have you? Mm -hmm. Well, no, I think it's like in our kind of biological makeup to be orienting ourselves to our kids often. Like that's a natural thing. I think that when we're we're trying to split hairs and distinguish, like I guess fear versus worry is a bit of a good place to start because like I was kind of Googling this to refresh in my memory even mm-hmm. right before jumping on here is that fear is related to a specific incident that is clearly defined right. and that happens and passes, right? So like our fight or flight response is a very in, like instinctive, helpful, protective response when it works as it should mm. with the threats that are legitimate threats, right? Mm-hmm. So fear is really that fight or flight response to that threat. So like, you know, many of us can relate to having touch and go moments, maybe in our, our labor and delivery, exactly. moments, right? Mm-hmm. Those are like, those are fear. They're based in very real present threats. Mm. Whereas worry and anxiety, which we're going to try and parse out a little bit and, and rate on a continuum today is more like, is this really a threat? Is this not a threat? Like how, mm. you know, it's not as clearly defined and Almost like, not that our brain invents, because that sounds really minimizing. It's not meant to be that way. But like our brain can create worries. Our brain can worry about worrying even. Right, right. I mean, we can definitely ramp up the worry or the fear that we perceive, right? And so that's why these things all kind of blend together. Is because our, right, our nervous systems react in a really similar way from something that is scary or dangerous. So for example, you're driving and maybe your car slips on the ice, you're going to have a fear response. That is a very concrete, scary event, right? Your, your right. nervous system is going to jack up, right? But the, the challenge is that sometimes anxiety or things that we're worried about, they're not as concrete, but our body can still react in that same way that feels like fear. Mm-hmm. And so it's so believable. So we think like, maybe is my baby sleeping? Like what? I haven't heard my baby fuss in a while. Is everything okay? Your brain interprets that as a very concrete, real fear and your body will react in that same way to prep you for fight or flight. And so in that moment, it's so hard to decipher, is this real? Do I believe this? Am I overreacting? Am I actually in danger? Is my baby in danger? It gets really tricky to tease that out in the moment. Absolutely. Because something as sort of ordinary as walking down the stairs may feel and become a very fearful or anxiety-provoking experience because those stairs have just become a safety threat according to our postpartum anxiety or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very tricky. I even had this experience yesterday. So I'd been in a a bad car accident in like Mm -hmm. 2012 or something. We were driving on the highway somewhere yesterday. My husband's driving and I just need to like ground myself and not pay attention to the crazy traffic here in Toronto. 
because it will just, it feels like every touch of the break is going to for sure be another Mm -hmm. accident. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's something also to be said and noted off the top here is that if there is any previous trauma, our perception and our like threat response or like that little meter that detects threat is like stuck on high, high alerts, like high threats a lot of the time. Absolutely. It's like you're at the ready, you know? Yeah. You know, this is reminding me, can I share a little story? Of course, please. So my children are five and six right now. So I'm, I'm out of the baby years, but still, still very much relating to this postpartum anxiety, to be honest, I, I still feel anxiety. I can recognize it and name it now. And I have some, some skills to manage it, but I haven't, you know, deleted it from my human experience. So Halloween night, we were sitting in our, our neighbor's front yard and they had brought out their fire, like electric fire, fake bonfire type thing mm-hmm. for us to, to gather around. And my five-year-old, she's had many, many accidents in, in her life. And a lot of it, you know, it's just it's accidents, but really difficult experiences as that our family has gone through. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about being like at the ready and just kind of like your meter is already sort of stressed, I feel like that often. And she was moving around the fire and I, I could hardly relax. And one little, you know, one little um, trip that she had, I felt myself, you know, just scared. And I, I felt embarrassed after because it felt like my response was disproportionate to right. what actually happened. But it made me realize like my nervous system is just ready to go because something yeah. about, I mean, that situation, obviously there are some risks, but maybe everybody else put those risks in their place. And for me, I was sitting in that heightened stress mode, probably most of the evening. And so I appreciate you acknowledging that, that past traumas can really hang out in the present by making you extremely cautious and extremely hypervigilant. And yeah, they, they impact the way you react in the present. Yeah. And I think that it's really important for us to address this off the bat, because A lot of us have gone through challenging situations in our labor and delivery or even like early childhood or car accidents, things that are unrelated. We've all had our own story in terms of these traumatic incidents and whether we feel like we can claim the word trauma for those experiences or not, they can play a role. These adverse experiences or these, you know, big accidents or these things Mm -hmm. that happen can, can play a role in our response. So especially with birth trauma and PTSD and being on the hypervigilant and aware, I think is really important to be mindful of when we're talking about postpartum anxiety and anyone who's had post-traumatic or sorry, has had birth trauma, whether that is as big and scary as like the next mom who talks about it, or whether that's just like a really feeling like not heard by medical professionals, a loss of control in that moment, didn't feel like in control of their body and control of what was happening around them, even though it may not be like a life or death situation, it can be internalized and felt as though it's trauma. That is going to play a role in our postpartum experience. Absolutely. And I love that you acknowledge that, that it's a subjective experience and only the woman in this situation gets to determine whether that experience was traumatic or not, right? And it's independent of the outcome. This is what I like to remind mothers of. Like, you know, just because somebody might say, well, at least you're okay and at least your baby's okay, that has nothing to do with the fact that the actual experience of giving birth might have been traumatic. There are right. separate experiences, separate totally. processes. If you felt incredibly scared, if you felt helpless, if you felt like 
you know, things were happening that you weren't in control of or that you didn't consent to, regardless of whether your baby is okay and you're okay, that could still be traumatic. Or sometimes that word feels scary or too big to use, but it could impact you in a really significant way that can cause your nervous system to be, mm-hmm. yes, um, you know, overwhelmed into your postpartum period. Yeah, it, it can put that threat detector on that kind of mm-hmm. hypervigilant overdrive, right? And I would say anything, whether we call it trauma or whether we minimize that experience for ourselves, anything that really puts that response into high alert may have been a big T or small T trauma, as they say. And that's something to really just be mindful of and allow yourself to identify that as something that, you know, changed how you rate threat in your life, kind of like how you perceive threat. One of the things that you had mentioned, and I think it's a good segue into, into the conversation further, is that I still struggle with anxiety. It's not sort of, hasn't been admitted from my human Mm -hmm. experience. And like, can we hash this out a little bit? Can we talk about realistic expectations? Who has anxiety? Who doesn't have anxiety? Because I would arguably say it's part of everybody's human experience. I agree with you. I think we all know what anxiety feels like, whether we've used that label or not. And I think there will always be, no matter how skilled you are, no matter how much self-care you do, no matter how rested and nourished you are, no matter how supported you are, you're, you're going to have phases of life that feel overwhelming, that feel scary and out of control. Mm-hmm. And we have a built-in system in our brains and our bodies that respond to fears, that respond to the unknown. And so feeling anxious and worried and scared is natural. We all feel it. I would agree. And I would say that like anxiety falls on a continuum. And this is really what we're wanting to highlight and unpack today is that we all experience anxiety and like on the high end of this continuum, we've got debilitating anxiety that is so bad that we're not leaving the house and we can't, we're like really not functioning. It's impairing our functioning to such a great, great degree. Mm. Maybe might even require like all kinds of intervention and, and things on the really high end. On the very low end, an absence of any kind of tension and anxiety, we do nothing. You know, we don't get up. We don't feel the urgency to make the bus on time. We don't do any of these like meet our deadlines. And this tension that creates, you know, momentum and movement for us is on that lower end. And without it, we have very little motivation to get anything done. And Mm -hmm. so what we're really wanting to identify today and kind of help to clarify is that we know and can appreciate that becoming a mother will bring worry and anxiety with it. Yes, exactly. I think particularly because you have never been responsible for something more important than when you have a little human to take care of. And so I always tell moms, you know, think about that mama bear drive that we all know that is a built in force. And I celebrate it. I think it's kind of exciting. I get excited when I talk about it. Like, yeah, Yeah. welcome to motherhood. You are fiercely protective of this little human. Now, part of that is going to be hypervigilance. You are dialed into any threat that might be out there, right? That is really natural. And think of how well that served us as a a species, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of cool to think of that. But there's always a shadow side. There's always a point where it becomes disruptive. Okay, so a little bit of hypervigilance serves you well. It helps you avoid dangerous situations. It might make you cautious of eating that strange looking meal because 
that might make you sick. It might make you, you know, cautious of strangers. And so you don't let your baby go with random people that you don't know. These are good things. So a little bit of hypervigilance is all about safety. So I always tell Mm -hmm. pregnant women and new moms this, that you're going to feel that that's really normal. And what if we could see the, the positive of that? I know it feels uncomfortable, but it actually serves you in a way. However, again, that point where it shifts into becoming a problem in your life. So sometimes it can start to cause physical sensations that are really debilitating, like shortness of breath, like feeling Mm -hmm. like you can't get enough air. That's how it shows up for me. I feel like, oh gosh, I can't breathe properly. Some moms feel sick to their stomach, right? Upset Mm -hmm. system. There's all sorts of different ways it shows up, like intrusive thoughts as well that I want to definitely get into. Curious to know what you would add to this piece, Erica. Yeah, I think that for me, when I am trying to distinguish with a client, whether something is sort of crossed the line of helpful in terms of anxiety, I'm really looking for, are we able to complete our daily activities? Mm -hmm. Are we able to have the thought about potentially, you know, tripping down the stairs and centering ourselves in our body, holding their rail a little bit tighter and still walking down the stairs with baby? Or are we so consumed with anxiety that we are scooting down the stairs on our bum so that we don't drop baby or avoiding wanting to carry baby down the stairs altogether? Mm -hmm. So for me, a really key word in here is avoidance. Are there things that you are avoiding doing that you would otherwise typically normally do that is interfering now with life and your function? I've had moms ask me like, well, how do I know if this is avoidance in a bad way or avoidance in a safe way? Right. Mm -hmm. So for example, maybe your baby is six months old and you're starting to experiment with solid foods and maybe you have anxious thoughts around your baby choking. So intrusive thoughts or scary images, even scenes playing out in your mind, that's really common for for moms to experience. So if anybody listening is resonating with that, just know that that does sometimes come from anxiety. So I'm imagining a, a mom starting to experiment with food and she has fears of her baby choking. So she might think, okay, well, maybe we won't do baby led weaning, or maybe I won't let my baby chew on this carrot because I'm scared of them choking. Is that avoidant? Or is that just normal caution, right? So it's kind of deciphering the two. And I like how you're explaining this. I suggest similar questions around like, is this disrupting your ability to enjoy motherhood, right? Is this disrupting your day-to-day life? Is it okay to maybe just skip the carrot stick then if that's making you feel uncomfortable? You don't have to push through everything just to prove to yourself that it's not anxiety. It's okay to make some minor adjustments, Mm -hmm. I believe. You know, but there's always a point if you get to a point that you're one year in and that fear of giving your baby solid food is preventing you from doing things that you know is important to do with your child, then that might be time to get some help. Right. And is it just the carrot sticks? Like that would be another follow-up question for me. Okay, sure. Cut the grapes and quarters for longer or do the extra sort of safety steps around food so that you feel safe if that is sort of an isolated behavior. And so this is where I dig a little bit further. Mm -hmm. Are we doing these sort of extra sort of hypervigilant steps in other areas that are creating conflict with partner 
and tension mm-hmm. with partner, you know? Because again, yes, if we can avoid something, you know, I'm talking about my car accident and driving on the highway. If I can avoid driving downtown Toronto, I will for sure do, like, exactly. I don't, I'm not going to put myself in a situation that's going to, uh, like, re-traumatize me in any kind of way. However, I will do it if I need to. And that's a very isolated incident. I will drive every other place. I still drive my car normally. I still drive with the kids in the car. I will still drive in the snow and rain, though I will hate every second of it. Of course. (laughs) So it's like, it's really sort of us stepping back and seeing like, our anxiety can turn the most normal of circumstances in everyday life as new moms into crazy big threats. Mm-hmm. Someone once told me, this is reminding me from what you just shared, that anxiety becomes a problem when it creates a problem in your life. So for you, and I know that sounds like a simple statement, but mm-hmm. for you to avoid the highway or that 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 busiest highway that you're talking about, it might not actually cause a problem. It might take you five or 10 extra minutes. Fine, right? If that was taking you an extra two hours a day to avoid that scary scenario, that might cause a problem and then it needs to be addressed. Right. So if I live downtown, because I don't, so like I can easily avoid it every day. I'd have to go out of my way to actually take that particular highway, right? So Mm -hmm. in my day-to-day, it hasn't had much of an impact. Right. So as soon as it starts to impact you in a significant way, as soon as you start to really make big efforts to avoid a situation that's creating anxiety, then that's a problem. Then that's starting to have way too much power over your life. But I think some things are okay to work with. You know, sometimes it's okay to just acknowledge, okay, that type of, you know, scenario makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to do that. And that's okay. For example, scary movies, right? So I know a lot of people feel scared. And so anxiety during postpartum period is not just about babies. So I've supported a lot of moms and even in myself who feel scared about their own well-being, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. you're scared of people breaking into your house or you're scared of walking down the street and feeling like somebody might approach you or, or attack you, right? So these are also fears that show up that aren't necessarily about your baby. But again, that hypervigilance that you feel makes you aware of all of those threats, Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I like to remind moms of that. So this idea of scary movies or scary media content, even, I think it's okay to limit that, right? Yeah. That, I don't yeah. see that as avoidant, you know, to That's not, like, like a yeah. healthier, helpful boundary for you. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, there's a difference between like avoiding something that, you know, it's not going to hurt your life if you never watch a horror movie again. I feel like that's a very appropriate thing to avoid if you're a fearful person like I am. I'm, I'm right. never going to watch another scary movie. And that's just me either. I'm just letting that go, (laughs) right? Yeah, it's a really valid point. Is like, what is setting a healthy boundary for you Mm -hmm. versus what is avoidance that's driven by anxiety? And I would really have to step back and think about, it's all about what is in the driver's seat, really. Like, Mm -hmm. if I know that watching a scary movie is going to disrupt my sleep, it's going to make me sort of like paranoid about all the shadows in my house for the next week and just Mm -hmm. like do things for me that are unhelpful, then I feel empowered in setting that boundary. And, And I feel like it's my boundary setting and sort of my choice and empowerment that's in the driver's seat of making that decision versus... I'm avoiding something because I feel like crippling anxiety at the idea of doing it. And therefore my anxiety is in the driver's seat and is in control. Exactly. Exactly. Right. 
so important to distinguish. Like who is driving this decision-making right now? Is this a healthy boundary, like a consciously thought through healthy boundary? Or is this me just like unable to cope with this situation? And it's really important to like pause and be curious with ourselves in these moments to explore that reason why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's so important. And I think a, a first step here, because some people might be thinking like, okay, well, how do I get in the driver's seat, right? How do we do that? And I think the first step is to map out how anxiety shows up for you, right? It's different for all of us. How does it show up? Like if it was an external part of you, if it was this visitor that comes and goes and comes and goes, how do you know when it's here? What does it do? What does it do to your thoughts? What does it, how does it show up in your body? Right? So for me, I know I start to feel like I can't breathe that well. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like, you know, I've got this heaviness in my chest. I don't sleep very well. So that's for me, I start, that's how I can recognize. So for anybody listening, just ask yourself, how does it show up for me? And once you become familiar with that, then you can witness it in that moment. You can say, oh, interesting. I'm feeling so anxious these days. Oh, oh, I wonder why that is. And start to get curious, like you said. And once we have that ability to witness anxiety come up, then we have that power to make a decision. But if mm-hmm. we're not witnessing it, if, we, if we're just totally bought into it, then anxiety is, is running the show because we're not even aware that it's, it's here. It just feels like it's everywhere. And that's a tricky one when I work with clients who have had a baseline of high anxiety all of life before mm. motherhood is it's like, we don't know what it feels like to be at like a one or a two out of five because we've always been at a three or a four out of five in terms of zinginess and tension and shortness of breath and stuff like that. So in those situations where we're, we feel like we're always on and very, like can find no space between us and our reaction or physiologically, we feel like we're often experiencing anxiety, I would recommend two things. One, work with a therapist because they can help you to identify those early cues and things to calm your nervous system. And two, in the postpartum period, medications are extremely effective in helping find some space between you and your reactions and your physiological reactions to your anxiety. So those are two incredibly helpful and proven tools to help us learn how to pull apart like what is an anxious thought, what is, you know, a, a sort of a baseline or sort of normal or average approach. And when we're constantly running at a four or a five out of five, it's like there's no space or room to find that curiosity, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think trusting that, you know, if you're listening to this and if you're relating to this and if you're feeling feeling like, hmm, I wonder if I do have anxiety or I wonder if I, if I do need help, then I would take that as a sign to reach out, right? There's only personal growth that can happen, right? Talking this through with somebody who is specifically trained in perinatal mental health that can help you decipher and help you learn about, you know, what your version of anxiety sounds like is such a valuable you know, endeavor to take on. I mean, even now, like I've shared, I'm, I'm five and six years postpartum. And just this last week, that little anxious part reared its head again in my life. And cognitively, like consciously, I was thinking, why am I anxious right now? I'm fine. Like everything is good. But my body was telling me otherwise, my body was like, really struggling. And so it, you know, sometimes you can't think your way through this alone, you need to connect with somebody who can support you. And 
And I'm happy to share that I connect with my own therapist and I love it. Gosh, to be held and supported and seen feels so good. So I just Mm -hmm. encourage anybody who's feeling like they could use support to reach out. And I think that you raise a really good point here is that I will say to clients coming in, oh, that's anxiety. And they'll be like, oh, no, no, it can't possibly be. And I'm like, oh, yes. Oh, yes, it is. So I think that practically speaking, maybe we can spend a minute or two to unpack what anxiety looks like and how it shows up. And I think that you've done a really good job of describing those physiological symptoms, shortness of breath. I think it was, it was you or another friend of mine, another associate therapist who was talking about how like they were like convinced that their lungs, like something about breathing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, anxiety shows up physiologically. It will convince me that my migraine is something like drastically wrong. You know, it will Mm -hmm. show up the shortness of breath. It will show up in insomnia and lack of sleep, not being able to settle to sleep. It can show up in lack of appetite and or like binging of appetite, sort of eating Mm -hmm. to soothe our anxiety. Anxiety can show up in perfectionist yes. tendencies. So this is that. like a place that we should spend some time because the focus of wanting to do things right, the right way, um, be a good or perfect mom, anxiety sort of can perseverate and live in this desire to just be good enough or right in our approach to motherhood. Can we unpack what that looks like a little bit, Kate? Because that's a big, that's a doozy. That's a big one. Oh yeah, let's talk about that. And you know, what I see is that anxiety can just drive perfectionism. It just feeds right into it. And, you know, especially when these conversations about self-care, I think this is important too. We, we We get so much encouragement to take care of yourself, take a break, ask for help, all of this. Like I know moms have heard this a billion times. But anxiety, when you're in that place and anxiety is awake and and alive and well, anxiety doesn't want you to take a break. Anxiety doesn't want you to take care of yourself and and ask for help and go to sleep early. Anxiety is like, no, clean your kitchen, work harder, get that thing done, write that email, hustle, hustle, you know, be a better mom. Anxiety is like, it pushes you. And so it can feel really hard to take care of yourself in the way that you know you need when Mm. anxiety is present. Right. Because mm-hmm. so many moms will say, I know I need to, to slow down. I know I need to make myself a meal. I know I need to turn off Netflix and go to bed, but I can't stop. And so that conflict can feel really difficult. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, 
making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. And so there's some research, and I had done a post ages ago about different personality types and postpartum anxiety and depression. And the type A perfectionist personality types, um, like a neurotic who get like very sort of tunnel vision on something, are types that are prone to anxiety and yeah. depression because of just this really strong drive to like do things right or these like high expectations. And like as a perfectionist coming into motherhood, we set expectations for ourselves that are rooted in zero realistic data of the actual role we need to step into. And so when we're in the role and it's a gong show that we could not have anticipated, we're still holding on to our our expectations of the high chair always being like immaculate or like certain things that are just unrealistic. So we get caught up in, like you said, like this, we feel like we're so busy or we can't settle or rest until these expectations and these things are met, Mm -hmm. but we actually need to adjust our expectations, which probably makes the skin crawl of most perfectionists. Absolutely. And I think that the challenge is that perfectionistic tendencies can serve you really well. And so and they're praised. Know, they're praised that. in our society, especially it's like work hard, hustle, achieve, accomplish, and you are good. You know, yeah. that's what we get credit for. We're not really praised for 
balance or ease or joy or um, slowness, slowness. Or presence, like, no, or... that's not going to get you awards. <laughs> that's yeah. not going to help you win. Right. And I say this tongue in cheek because I'm trying to unhook from all of these pressures at the same time as, as all of you are. You know, if you think about like the time before you become a mother and after, so before motherhood, perfectionism can serve you in ways that our society values. Like you, you know, hustle and you get good grades and you get that job and you get things and you get this and you get that, right? And sometimes it can feel doable, possibly. And then you become a mother and you carry these expectations that actually probably aren't yours. So as we grow up as young girls and young women, we gather, so we're, we're like sponges. We absorb all these ideals and messages about what a good mother is. Most mm -hmm. of them you probably don't actually believe in, but they've been given to you. And if you haven't tossed them overboard yet, <laughs> they just, mm -hmm. they still impact you. So mm -hmm. you become a mother and you're carrying this perfectionistic tendency that served you really well. So you're not going to let it go yet. You carry that into motherhood and you try to live up to all of these ideals that you actually don't believe in. And mm -hmm. so, and you, you might believe in some of them, but probably not all of them. And so I think this is a really key place to start. If you feel like you have high expectations of yourself, you need to decide which expectations you want to work toward. So I don't expect moms to drop that drive to be the best they can be. Mm -hmm. I think that's okay. I think that serves us well, but I want you to funnel it toward things you actually care about, mm -hmm. right? I want you to decide what your standard of a good mom is and hustle to that, but don't let yourself work so hard to meet these societal expectations that you might not drive with. Yeah. You hear what I mean? Yeah. And I actually did a couple episodes back. So a couple, a couple of weeks ago, I guess, for you guys who are tuning in, I had Dr. Jen Douglas, a associate professor from Stanford University on to unpack perfectionism. So if you're hearing this and this is resonating with you, I would encourage you to check that episode out because it really kind of lays out the thought patterns of perfectionism and some ways to go about managing it now that we're in motherhood, because there is no one way in motherhood. There is no such thing as the perfect mother. And so if you aren't clearly honed in on your definition, according to your values, you're going to constantly feel like you're failing mm -hmm. and be anxiously striving after something that's very like vague and ill-defined for you. So check that episode out. It's got lots of really tangible things in it. There's something really interesting that comes to mind. I was talking about avoidance earlier as a as sort of a, a marker with clients on whether or not, you know, this anxiety that we're feeling in the postpartum or like motherhood, generally speaking, is getting out of hand. And another uh, thing that I actually screen for and that we can talk to is the use of control. And what I mean by that is when we feel very overwhelmed, often myself or even clients, generally speaking, we will default to trying to control certain things in order to control our anxiety. Mm. So what this might look like is if we kind of role play this out a little bit, it might look like, well, if I'm anxious about choking, my partner is never allowed to prepare the food because I have to do it a certain way in order to ensure and prevent choking that, you know, it's done a very specific way. Mm. Or often in the very sort of postpartum stages, it can be a lot of control of like the environment, the food, routines, 
and or partner, like we want to clamp down on something that we can control. Like, let's spend a little bit of time on this dynamic here. Yeah. Another one that comes up is controlling who has access to your child. So, you know, sometimes that hypervigilance can creep in of like, I won't let anybody be with my baby and sometimes even partners. So sometimes moms will feel their partner is not as safe or not as trustworthy or just maybe not as good. And that is so scary that the mom will not, you know, let go of, of all moments with the child. And so that's, that's a good example of, you know, that, that becomes a problem that becomes so difficult for that relationship, for that mother to do it all herself. So where the line with this sort of control might be, it's like, if you're feeling anxious, you know, a lot of people will say like, oh, well, I'll clean or I'll organize or whatever. And like, I just hopped on the home edit bandwagon and I've been organizing <laughs> my entire house. And you know what? It feels really good to do that. That I would say is not becoming a problem because I'm not expecting my partner to do it. I'm not controlling anybody else's behavior. The spending that I am doing to buy the things is all kosher and good with my partner. It's not creating a set of problems Mm -hmm. for versus, right? This would become problematic if I was trying to control my partner's behavior or having these expectations of my partner to adopt the same practices that I'm rolling out in terms of organization or, yeah, essentially wanting to change his behavior, although that's a whole big topic for another day. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It can be hard to decipher, like, where is that line? Because I agree. I think sometimes we can use control in a really strategic way to soothe our systems, right? Especially when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling like life is chaotic, I think look around you and where can you put some order into place, whether it's in your immediate, you know, surroundings, tidying up your kitchen, making your bed. I mean, that actually feels good. And so part of me feels like go with it. If it's not disruptive to your day or to your relationship or Mm. to caring for yourself or your children. And so again, if we could like come back to that question of, is this causing a problem in my life? Is this helping me? So is this controlling behavior helping me or is it hurting me or us? Is this just, um, is this just managing my situation? Is it even controlling, right? Is this just getting my life in order? Mm -hmm. It's a positive thing. Or is this, you know, am I fooling myself to think I have more control of a situation that is actually just very overwhelming? And, Mm -hmm. And I, so I think that line can be tricky to, to find, but just simply asking yourself, is this actually causing a bigger problem? Is this hurting me or us? Yeah. Yeah. And Mm. I deal with, like, I talk to moms every day on Instagram and in DMs, uh, especially when it comes to the mental load and partner and maybe lack of support or, you know, not wanting to have to delegate. And like these types of things, that is not exactly what we're trying to address here. That is very challenging and it's problematic. Mm -hmm. You need support by your partner. And, you know, there are behaviors in our partner that do need to change sometimes, mm-hmm. right? So that the load is redistributed. And so what, what we're addressing is not quite that. And if that is an ongoing challenge where you're feeling undersupported and you're feeling like you need your partner's behavior to change and it's not changing, that is valid if you're undersupported. 
And that is a conversation that I think you have with your partner. And if they aren't stepping up and if there isn't feeling like you're being, you're being heard, then you talk to a couple's therapist. Like you need to be supported. Mm-hmm. What we're addressing here is the, how do I explain this cycle? So I am overwhelmed and I have anxiety and therefore I try to control the state of the house in order to deescalate my anxiety, mm-hmm. right? Or I have anxiety and something is going on with my partner and therefore I try to control my partner or their help around the house because I am like rage cleaning and feeling frustrated, (laughs) right? Yeah. So, or at how this also plays out with our kids is like, I'm high anxiety and stress today because I have a deadline or I have something coming up. My kids are just being normal toddlers, but are acting out. And I want to squash that behavior and stop it and make it stop happening in order to regulate my anxiety. So it's really like how we're using that control or that avoidance to regulate ourselves. And like, that's more the awareness that I'm trying exactly. to here. Yeah, exactly. I just appreciate how hard it is to be aware in that moment, right? Yeah. When you feel that anxiety. Gosh, I mean, I'm, I'm relating as you speak, even this weekend, I woke up on Sunday morning and I decided now's the morning that I'm going to get all the things done. And my husband sat yeah. on the couch with his laptop doing his own kind of anxiety control things like spreadsheets and budgeting. But as I was zipping around the house cleaning and I was so annoyed that he wasn't joining me in what I was doing and I didn't even talk to him about it. I didn't make any requests. We had no plans. It was Sunday morning and I was anxious trying to manage my anxiety. And so my point of sharing this is in that moment, I wasn't very aware of what I was doing. And I think that's okay. It's a tall order to expect that we're always going to be totally mindful and you know, aware of our own responses. But I think looking back at those times for all of us, I'm sure we can review even the last week of times where we, we kind of got pulled into that control mode and maybe had expectations of our partner. And it wasn't really about, you know, them not stepping up as a partner. It was more about our own expectations to manage anxiety. And I think that's what you're saying is like, yes, there is a discussion to be had of our partners joining us in parenting, but this is more about that controlling anxiety management behavior that we don't really need to expect them to join us in. Well, like, you know, when our pantry has been a certain way for like how many years we've been married, like 10 or however many years we've been together. And all of a sudden, I feel the need for our pantry to be like immaculate. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And like that he should like, why am I the only one that like does anything? And I'm like, you know, rage cleaning. And in the behavior before I identify what's happening, like his behavior hadn't changed from yesterday to the day that I decided I needed a organized pantry. Yeah. Life the same as we had agreed to mm-hmm. until then, right? So but in that moment, you're like, dude, this is what we're doing now. Get with right? the program. Get on board. <laughs> yeah. Get on board, right? No. So this can lead into a bigger conversation, but mm-hmm. I bring up the control piece to just sort of highlight and be aware that sometimes that's how our anxiety can mm-hmm. show up and, and it can show up with controlling who's coming in and out of the house and in-laws. It can show up in our partners and how they do things around the house. And it can show up even in ourselves and how we go about our routines and our own food and our own 
these types of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this, you know, just to add to this piece, especially with the postpartum period and thinking about why anxiety is often missed. I don't know if you recognize that in your practice as well, that, you know, depression seems to be the things that medical professionals are looking out for in particular. Societally, we seem to be more aware of postpartum depression, but anxiety is just as common, but it's getting missed. And so when we're thinking about this perfectionism, controlling kind of way of being that often presents as like really having it together. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and I think sometimes that's why moms are getting missed. You know, you might show up to your postpartum appointment and like, look like you have it all together. And, and maybe you really want to present yourself that way as well, because you, you want people to think you have it all together. Right. Of course Mm -hmm. you do. And I, I feel that that it's okay to feel that. But sometimes that way of presenting doesn't show up on professionals' radar as clearly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And even that? praised sometimes, right? Exactly. Like, wow, like we're all doing sudden, it all. We're like hair and makeup done and we're like back to working out and it's only like six or eight weeks postpartum, but it's really because we're so anxious inside. Yeah. But it gets missed and it gets, it gets praised, right? Exactly. And I, I think that that's part of this is that effort to do it all. And that effort to like, look like you're a natural and look like it's easy and look like, wow, that woman is managing everything. And of course that feels good. It it feels good for yourself to feel like you're managing everything. It feels good when people tell you that, when your partner is proud of you, like it's okay to want that. Mm -hmm. But I think that can make it hard to actually see how you're doing, to really acknowledge like, how am I actually managing right now? And I remember feeling that way when I had my babies. I just so badly wanted to be good at it. I wanted, and I wasn't consciously thinking this, right? But I just know in hindsight, as I reflect, like I wanted people to look at me and be like, wow, she mm-hmm. she can do it all. She can finish her degree and have babies and do this. I wanted that. That made me feel good. But I wasn't doing it all. It all. Like I was mm-hmm. suffering on the inside, but I was terrified to tell anybody that. And I literally told my doctor, I said to her, I have a a lung problem. Like I was so unwilling to acknowledge how I was doing emotionally that Mm -hmm. all I could see was the physical symptoms. Like I have a lung problem. Something's wrong with my breathing. Mm -hmm. I need help. She's like, you have anxiety. Here's a prescription. And I kind of laughed at her and left and never looked back until a couple of years later thinking, oh, she had a point, right? Right. So my, my point in sharing this is that that drive to keep it all together and to present like, like you're okay can override your body telling you that things aren't quite right and you need help. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important, like if you can identify with pieces of this or not, or identify with the label of anxiety or not, if you are feeling distressed, right? Like if you are feeling this constantly, like you're treading, trying to keep your head above water, these physiological symptoms of just, you know, tension and unable to breathe. If there is like checking behavior postpartum and things about babies breathing or routines or food or intrusive thoughts, which we haven't spent much time on today, but I do have an entire episode. So if you're experiencing, you know, like flashbacks or like these sort of visual auditory or, or visual thoughts of like, really disturbing things happening to you or baby or your partner, uh, things that just feel very disturbing and unlike you. I do have an intrusive episode slot where you can go through and learn about that. That is often rooted in anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are experiencing those things, 
like you had mentioned earlier, nobody walks into my office saying like, oh, for sure, I'm so anxious. Like that's, you know, for sure it. It's like, I'm struggling. I don't really know what's going on, but I know that something needs to change because I'm not managing well. I'm not coping well, or I'm trying to just keep my head above water. And I feel like I'm failing at this, this thing, you know? Yeah. I feel like I'm bad at this. I feel like I don't like this. I don't like this, but then I feel guilty that I don't like this. Right. That's what I hear too. I don't ever hear mom saying, hi, I need help because I have anxiety. No, they say I'm overwhelmed and I don't know why, or I'm having a really hard time and I don't, I don't really know why, because in their mind, they think I should be doing better. This should be easier. This Mm -hmm. is supposed to be natural. I'm supposed to be good at it. And these are Mm -hmm. all these things we learn that are just totally untrue. When else have we been good at something that we've never practiced or that we've never been taught or that we have zero experience with, right? Never. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But this sense of like, I should be doing it right, or I'm failing, or I'm overwhelmed and I don't know what to prioritize because like everything is just so overwhelming. Like these are the sorts of comments and and feelings and thoughts that, that moms who are struggling with anxiety share. So I know that this is a lot today. And like Kate said so graciously is sometimes even now as a professional who is trained, I don't even identify what's going on until I'm in the behavior. Like, what am I doing? Right? (laughs) Yeah. And so it's not, again, this is not about perfection. It's not about you should know what to do before you do it. It's about an awareness and a curiosity because now when I'm in those things, I can say, wait a minute, Erica, like what's going on? And even then as I, as I'm in it and I'm like cleaning something or rage cleaner, having a moment, I'm like curiously exploring what's happening with myself instead of critically, like harshly judging myself for what is happening. Yes. I love how I'm feeling. Right. And the piece that I, I would add on to that. So the, the first is like noticing yourself, learning about how you react, getting curious about, you know, what was that rage clean about last week, right? Getting curious with, yeah. with, with compassion, with total understanding of why you're in this state. No yes. judgment. Look at how many moms are relating to anything posted about overwhelm, anger, anxiety. Like we are all feeling this. This is not a personal thing. This is like a collective experience that we all have. So it's like, wow, what is happening? And then the follow-up is, what do I need to support myself? Like, what do I need? Because I see anxiety as your nervous system responding to stress and fear and overwhelm. Your nervous system is in overdrive. And the only way we can feel better is to bring that relaxation response online to shift. You can't be stressed and relaxed at the same time. So we need to, we need to think about how can we create more space and relaxation and ease. And I know that moms listening are probably like, when the heck am I going to get, I can't even take a breath. I get it. Like I hundred percent get it. And you might Mm -hmm. be in a phase of like hanging on and hanging in there, Mm -hmm. but keep that idea in mind that breathing space, like a quiet, calm, all of these words, this is what we need to bring that system back down so that you can catch your breath. Yeah, I 100% agree. And not to also understate the challenge that is COVID and a global pandemic right now. And that's not even something we got into today, but talk about um, escalating levels of anxiety and, and feeling, you know, tense, especially about 
you know, decisions about who to see and what to do and that hypervigilance being even that much more. And is this, is this to keep us safe? And is this an adaptive behavior or is this avoidance? So it's, it's muddy waters to navigate right now, even for like for everybody, because it's not like there's a lot that's uncertain. And so we're in this new time postpartum which is a, I feel like a whole other episode in itself, but it's you're, you're in a postpartum or you're in, you're in motherhood. And then we're also in a pandemic and that's another layer. And so I, I bring that up to say, to be compassionate and to become curious and non-judgmental about it. And then to seek the support and the help if you need it. I, I feel that way too. I have so much compassion for moms right now. My hope is that you all bring in that perspective of compassion. I understand why I'm feeling this way. I know you don't want to feel this way, but it actually makes perfect sense, right? Right. I think the rates for anxiety and depression are through the roof. At this point, I think it's at one in three postpartum Mm -hmm. women are experiencing anxiety and depression. Like that's huge, right? So this feels hard because it is hard. This feels overwhelming because it actually is overwhelming, right? Right. This isn't a mistake that your brain is playing a trick on you. This is a very difficult time to be transitioning into motherhood. Mm -hmm. And so kind of knowing that, that it isn't your fault, right? So I understand why I feel this way. I still need help. I know it's not okay, right? Right. But it's not my fault. Yeah. Important piece. Yeah. Such an important piece because we don't, again, we don't want to, there's almost like we don't want to admit because we don't want to say we're failing, you know, yeah. but this has nothing to do with us failing. We're in a pandemic. Motherhood is an insane transition. The literal chemistry and makeup of our brain changes in the postpartum period. There are so many levels as to why these things happen. And so it's not an admittance of not being good enough or not being strong enough, or not being able to will yourself out of it. It's none of those things to ask for help and support in these areas. It actually takes immense courage and strength. I think it's the opposite often of what, you know, we make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I celebrate women who reach out, women who are listening to this right now, women who tell their partners how they're feeling. Like I just honor and celebrate you because as soon as you let somebody in, you allow them to carry that load with you and you feel less alone. Oh, so mm-hmm. good. Hey, thank you for spending your time here with us today. Where can people find you out online? Where are you hanging out? Oh, thanks, Erica. It's just a pleasure. I feel like you and I could chat about this whole day. <laughs> I know, it's so true. Um, like there's so many bunny trails we could go on. But. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I'm on Instagram, um, Kate Borsato. So I'd love for you to come find me there. Also on YouTube, so I create videos to share just kind of really to the point tidbits for moms in this period. So that's um, Kate Borsato on YouTube as well. Awesome. And we will link all of this stuff in the show notes for anyone who's trying to find Kate. And I think that, uh, yeah, just to leave mamas with the fact that you're not alone in this. Kate and I have reflected on our own experience in adjustment to first-time motherhood and motherhood and anxiety, but we sought help. And motherhood changed for us and it can for you too, if you're struggling. So thank you so much. Thank you, Erica. I can't even begin 
to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.